Thank you for listening to this sermon from Renaissance Church located in Montreal, Quebec. For more information about Renaissance Church, please visit our website, renaissancemtl.com. If you would like to know more about how you can partner up to see the gospel advance in Montreal, please send us an email at renaissance.mtl at gmail.com. No, he goes in the complete opposite direction of Nineveh. He tries to go as far as he can from God and from what he has been called to do. And so God, he causes this storm while Jonah's on a boat. Jonah gets thrown over into the ocean and he's swallowed by this giant fish and he's spit out on the land of Nineveh. And, and what happens next is Jonah begrudgingly tells them that God is going to destroy them, right? What happens next? The Ninevites repent, they turn from their evil, and they turn to God, and God relents from destroying them. He decides he's not going to destroy Nineveh because they have turned from their evil ways. What often gets overlooked in this story is the very last chapter, though. When we think of Jonah, what do we think of, right? We remember there's a big fish, right? There's you know, this big storm, but really the, the last chapter, it gives us a ton of insight into this book, the big idea of this book and what is it all about, because it tells us a lot about what Jonah is wrestling with. So I'm going to read this for us here. Um, this is as God, he, he tells Jonah that he's not going to destroy Nineveh. And this is what it says in Jonah 4. It says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. He says, For I knew you were a gracious God, and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Sound familiar? Yeah. So Jonah quotes back this verse from Exodus back at God, right? He says, I knew that you were a loving God. I knew you would turn from your anger. That's why I didn't want to go, right? That's, that's why I tried to go another way. It's because my enemies don't deserve your love. And this is what we're meant to wrestle with in this book. The enemies of God don't deserve his love. The evil Ninevites are completely undeserving of the love of God. They deserve to be destroyed. Jonah knows this, and yet he knows the character of God, that he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. And really, when, when we look at the prophet Jonah, one thing we should res wrestle with as well is that Jonah doesn't really deserve the love of God, right? Jonah tries to flee from God, and yet God relentlessly pursues him. Jonah disobeys God over and over, and yet God is faithful. Jonah would rather die than let his enemies experience the grace of God, and yet God is gracious towards Jonah, and he allows him to be a part of his loving plan of redemption. And what I find fascinating about this book is this. Jonah is clearly not a good guy in this story, right? He runs from God. He refuses to go to his enemies and tell them to repent. He gets angry when God shows mercy to his enemies. 
But what's interesting to me in all of this as well is that Jonah is also very relatable, right? He's incredibly relatable in that he knows the character of God and he presumes that God should be gracious and loving towards him, but not to others. Just like Jonah, I find myself presuming that I should deserve God's love. Just like Jonah, I find it difficult to draw near to those who have hurt me. Just like Jonah, I find myself fleeing from the plans of God if they inconvenience me or if I don't like them. I find myself often being at odds with the will of God. And therefore, I find myself in the shoes of Jonah or the Ninevites, undeserving of the love of God. And so this book really ought to make us reflect. Are we deserving of God's love? Do you and I believe that we deserve God's love? We are the ones who have been unfaithful. We follow our own plans rather than the plans of God. We try to flee from him. Sometimes we are outright evil in our actions. And none of us deserve the love of God. And yet, the one thing that we see over and over in Scripture that God wants us to know about him is that he is gracious, merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Paul puts this well in Ephesians. He writes this in Ephesians 2. He says, You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Right? We all did our own way. We all followed the, 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 the evil powers of this world. We did what we wanted. We did what we saw was best in our own eyes instead of following God. And then he says this, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And Paul is just basically quoting that verse from, from Exodus again, right? We were enemies of God, completely undeserving of his love, but God being rich in mercy. Basically, again, he's saying God is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding with steadfast love. And this God made you alive in Christ. God loves those who don't deserve it his enemies. He turns foes into friends by his grace alone, by the outpouring of his steadfast love. And so we see that we are undeserving of God's love. What we see next about God's love is that God's love is missional. We, we're going to go to the Psalms next. Um, there's a Psalm of David in the Bible, Psalm 57. And it is a Psalm that David wrote when he was fleeing from Saul. Okay, so at this point, David is not yet king, but the current king, King Saul, has become very jealous of David, and he's out to kill him. And so David flees from Saul, and so this is a psalm that he writes as he is on the run from, uh, from Saul. Um, psalm 57 starts off by saying this, be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge, till the storms of destruction pass by. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. 
He says, God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. So God, uh, sorry, David's appeal, again, is to the steadfast love and faithfulness of God. Again, this is a quote from Exodus here. What does he say? He says, God is going to send from heaven and save me. He will send out his steadfast love and faithfulness. So God's love is a sending love. It is a missional love. And what is that mission? The purpose of his missional love is to save. David is saying, God, out of your love, save me. This is one, one of the things we see in multiple Psalms that in distress or when fleeing persecution, the psalmists cry out to God for salvation, and they do so by appealing to his loving character, his loving nature. Psalm 86 says, O oh God, insolent men have risen up against me. A band of ruthless men seeks my life, and they do not set you before them. Again, it says, But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And so we know that God's love is unique as his love is one that saves. God's people cried out for salvation to God and appealed to his love for them. And this is how God's people have known their God. They are undeserving and yet they cry out to him for salvation because they know that he is loving they know he continues to be faithful no matter what they do, no matter what they've gotten themselves into. God is the one who saves because of his love for them. As Christians, we should clearly see how this relates to Jesus, right? Jesus is the one who saves. He redeems us from the brokenness of our sin. And we see this in scripture at the beginning, even right before the birth of Jesus. I'm going to read for us a, a passage we read earlier this year. It's been a while, so we may have forgotten it, but it's a passage from the Gospel of Matthew, the series that we've been in this year. And in Matthew chapter 1, it talks about the birth of Jesus, Jesus, which is the season that we are currently celebrating. This is what it says. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit." This is what he says. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. God's love is missional. We have a God that sent his love into the world. God sent his very own son, into the world on a mission. And what was that mission? He will save his people from their sins. God's plan was to save. Jesus came to undeserving people, people who had rebelled against him, people who were unfaithful. This is who God came to earth to save. This is what makes the love of God utterly unique. It is unnatural. In fact, it is completely supernatural. 
It is beyond what we can do on our own. Though we are sinners and didn't deserve it, God loved us so much to make it his mission and come and save us from our sin. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. This is the love of God for you and I. Not only are we saved from our sin, but we inherit eternal life through his son, Jesus Christ. This was the mission of Jesus, why he came to earth. This is what we as Christians celebrate this season. The love that Jesus has for sinners, so much that he made it his mission to come to earth, to live as one of us, to show us how to live for the Father's will, to love others, and to save us from our sins. He came as a baby, born of a virgin, conceived by the Holy Spirit. He lived a perfect life, completely in obedience to the will of the Father. He was rejected by those he came to save, and they nailed him to a cross. Jesus died and rose again, and he offers forgiveness of sins. He offers freedom from sin, and he offers eternal life to those who put their faith in him, Jesus Christ. And we get to delight this season, this Advent season, the season of anticipating the arrival of Jesus, that Jesus made it his mission to come and save us from our sins. Because Jesus is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. As we wrap up, last thing I want us to see is this. Those who have been loved by God will love. Those who have been loved by God will love. If we go back to the beginning of our time, uh, Jesus says, the greatest commandment is this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The most important thing that Jesus says is that we love God and love one another. And we do so because this is who God is. That's why he calls us to love one another, because God is love. This is who God is. And if we recognize that we are undeserving of it, yet God bestows upon us his love that saves us from our sins, once we recognize that, we recognize the great debt that we have been forgiven, we will love others as he has loved us. 1 John 4, verse 10 says, And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. It says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And Jesus says this as well in the Gospel of John. It says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. Christ laid down his life for us, and he calls us to love others like this, self-sacrificially dying to ourselves to love one another. And so as we celebrate Christmas today and tomorrow, let us be reminded of the love that God has for us. That he sent his one and only son into the world. God's love compelled him to be on mission. And if we have that same love within us, we will live on mission. We will love like Christ, self-sacrificially for one another by the power of his Holy Spirit inside of us. 
Let us love Jesus, for he is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Let us love like that. And look to him this season as we celebrate the love of Jesus this Christmas. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to the sermon from Renaissance Church. If you have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more, please feel free to contact us by email at renaissance.mtl at gmail.com or reach out to us on social media. It's our passion to love Jesus, love each other, and love our world.